What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Matt Brill here to tell you guys about my friends from Big Friendly Productions. Now, they specialize in creating merchandise for bands, artists, and even lifestyle brands. With their in-house equipment, they can provide shirts, branded hats, and more, as well as some graphic design services. They offer order fulfillment to handle your online orders and ship your merch straight to your fans from their shop. Down in good old Birmingham, Alabama, baby. Now, whether you are getting your first shirt, you're just starting out, or you're going on a 40-show run, hit them up for all your merchandising needs. Check out their website, bigfriendlyproductions.com or shoot them an email, merchandising at bigfriendlyproductions.com. Now we're going to get into the episode. This is Outside the Round with Matt Brill. Also make sure you guys like, rate, subscribe, tell your mama and them. And for more details and uh, to get in touch with the rest of the familia, visit raiserowdy.com. Now let's get into it. Outside the Round with me, Matt Brill, a Raised Rowdy podcast. This is Outside the Round with Matt Burrill, a Rage Rowdy podcast. Yeah. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Outside the Round with me, Matt Burrill. Uh, today, a very special episode. Uh, I told you guys when we were rebranding from In the Round to Outside the Round, we were going to have folks across all different all different styles of life, not just performers and songwriters and musicians and artists and things like that. But having folks that are in the music industry, outside the music industry, and today we've got a guy that I've gotten to know over the last few years who's been a huge part of the music scene in country and rock for a very long time and is associated with a lot of big acts that you guys are very familiar with um, that are doing big things in the country scene now and have been for a long time. Uh, Very honored to be with the man behind the core entertainment, our man Chief, and your name mm-hmm. is—it's Kevin, right? It is, but you're making me sound very old. Very old? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I've been I, around for a long time. I—I'm not young. I'm I was, okay with well, that. How, well, how old? How old? You can't be that old, right? I just turned fifty. Yeah, that's not old, dude. Well, congrats okay. on fifty. That's well, freaking cool. Okay, thank you. I'll take it. Yeah. So, I mean, but you've been now—if you're fifty now and you've been around the music thing for so long, when did you get into it? I mean, look, it was right when I graduated, so 18, and I knew I wanted to do music, and um, I instantly fell in love with the idea of actually becoming a producer engineer. That was my first love. So um, up in Vancouver, I went to uh, recording school for two years to become what I thought was going to be a career in engineering and producing, and that's actually where I met Nickelback is I I was interning at a studio up there and they had just moved there from Alberta. There were four young kids that no one knew who they were. And one of the first sessions I ever did in my life was recording this band called Nickelback and um, recorded some songs. And at that time, there's a massive live music scene in Vancouver. So every band that was coming through the studio was also playing every weekend. So they would just be like, hey, you want to come do our live sound for us? And I didn't know how to do live sound, but you know, I knew how to work the gear. Yeah. So you just go start mixing and you just kind of figured it out. And, you know, I got to mix a lot of great bands. I got to go on tour with a couple of the bands. Um, one of the first tours I ever did was a band that opened up for Power Man 5000 and Kid Rock. Yeah. And then the next tour I went was a local band opening up for Motley Crue. So I kind of like got a really good taste of the road and I really started to fall in love with the live sound and tour manager. 
And then Nickelback got signed and they asked me to be their sound engineer and tour manager. And that was, I was with them for almost 15 years. Wow. That's, that's see, I had no idea you had the production background. It makes sense yeah. having, the, having the ear for it. Because I've, I've known you since I've known you. It's, it's more I've known you being the guy on the business yeah. side, which you transitioned to. And No, I loved it. Look, it, I got to learn about radio and about promotion and marketing and record labels and publishing and then got to sit in the studio for, you know, seven records with Nickelback and watch Joey Moy make great records yeah. and Mutt Lang come in and do a record with him. So... I just, it, it was constantly like going to school. I just yeah. got to learn uh, and make a lot of mistakes as I went along, but without those mistakes being so costly that like I had lost my job. Cause I was with, you know, Nickelback was making mistakes as well. We were just trying to figure it out as we went. And it just kind of kept, you know, we started in a van and then it kind of like, you know, we we're just grinding, 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 got a bus. Then we got a trailer, then we got some gear, then we got some lights, and then Hire Your Mind Me came out, and we went overnight. I mean, all of a sudden, it was like world tour and, I don't know, eight trucks, eight buses, <laughs> you know, 40, 50 crew, and all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, we're like we're doing it. We're doing this yeah, thing. We're not in the clubs no more. We're not in the clubs anymore. <laughs> um, and then you had to learn that jump, like from clubs to theaters to arenas, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is... This is big, um, but I loved it. I loved I loved every second of it, and it was, I mean, it turned out pretty good. We yeah. had a good 10-year run. Yeah, my first, um, the first CD, uh, two CDs that I remember buying as a kid at Target were um, All the Right Reasons was like my first CD. That and Kenny Chesney's No Shoes, No Shirt, No Problems. I mean, those are and two remember, great ones. And I remember just listening, over, like that was the soundtrack to my childhood was, was Nickelback, and obviously wasn't old enough to like remember like, Going to shows like my first Nickelback show was this year, which was oh, the show at, the show at Bridgestone, man. <laughs> I mean, this how does it feel to be to be back with to be back with the guys to be a part of this reunion, like and seeing the shows that are like I know Boots and Hearts was just this past weekend. Yeah, it was freaking crazy. And then to have a guy like Josh Ross, who you've been investing a lot of time in for a long time, and taken under your wing, and have him have him out on the tour as well. Like, yeah, it, it's. It, sometimes it's like surreal because it 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 seems so natural and so easy when when the guys decided to to look for new management and when we all got in a room and we we're like this just feels right you know it just feels like this is so natural they're like my brothers we we grew up together so it was like yeah let's just do this but then when you remove yourself from the situation they're like wait here's the band I started with like 25 years ago as like their sound guy. And now we get to manage them. Um, so it's a little bit surreal yeah. at times, but look, it's been great. We have such a great relationship. And when we, when we agree to work together, our whole goal was to like, try, try some different things, right? Let, let's shake it up a little. There was, there was, I think a moment where, a lot of the industry was like their nickelbacks either done or they're just going to rinse and repeat, you know? And we came in and we we're like, guys, we know in Nashville and in country, you guys are big. Yeah. You guys are well, like, I know that Morgan Wallen's a fan, Hardy's a fan, Bailey's a fan, Josh is a fan, Nate's a Like everyone we talked to, they're like, we love Nickelback. We grew up on Nickelback. We, we learned how to write songs because of Chad. So it was such an easy thing for us to see and such a hard thing for them to see because they had never 
spent a lot of time in Nashville where the country seemed to be like, wait, all of those guys like us and they like our music. And we're like, yeah, like all of them, Brantley, Jelly Roll, all of them, they love it. So we, we, we just said, all you gotta do is connect the dots and you, your guys' music isn't that far off from what country now country rock has become. And so when we, we went to them and we said, Hey, let's look at a Brantley Gilbert. And what about our guy, Josh Ross? And they kind of just trust it. And they're like, if you guys think this is a good move and a smart move, we are down. And we are like, yes, we think this is a good move. Um, and it, I mean, it's their biggest selling tour since 2010 and they're having a blast. And they are now seeing that the country fans are Nickelback fans. Yeah. And it's this younger generation that is just discovering Nickelback and they're like, we love your music. And then, of course, they still have the diehard Nickelback fans. So it's kind of been the perfect combination that we hoped it was going to be. Um, and it's turned out great. And a badass record to tour off of. Like and coming they, back, and putting out a record, and hitting the road. And they still put out great music. Yeah. You know, they really do. So um, it's been great. It's really a family atmosphere. They quickly bonded with Brantley. They love Chad's really taking Josh under his under his wing of, like, teaching him hey, you got a big career ahead of yourselves, but here's going to be some pitfalls, you know, and here's some things I learned along the way and want to pass to you. And it's great. He's really, I mean, he's like his older brother out there. It's yeah. really, it's cool to watch. That's awesome. Yeah, and, it, and it's like you see elements of, we refer to it as, as butt rock, the nothing but right. rock radio generation. And we do a lot with that with Ray's Rowdy. We have our, our butt rock night account. We Posts a lot of stuff about about Nickelback, about Creed, about Seether, Saliva, Limp Bizkit, bands from that era, and you can feel, you can hear the sounds of that era coming back in country with guys like like Hardy. I mean, you you were part of that transition too. With I feel like FGL was kind of the bridge between that. Yeah, look, it was if, if and some people don't know this, but how I even ended up from Vancouver to Nashville is because of Nickelback, because I was managing. Joey Moy, who's Nickelback's producer. Oh, I didn't know you were Joey's manager. I was Joey's manager for five, six years. And Joey and I got a call from Seth at Big Loud saying, I have an artist in Nashville who loves Nickelback, loves Joey's production and mixing. Would Joey consider doing a song? And we're like, of course. Like, why not? So they sent a song to Vancouver. Joey mixed it, sent it back. They go, we love it. Would Joey come to nashville and actually work on some music and we we're like yeah of course so before right before joey was going to come to nashville seth was like hey i was still out with nickelback at the time and he's like nickelback's playing atlanta seth is like i want to bring some of my writers to meet chad they love chad i was like great so seth rodney claus and chris tompkins and craig wiseman all came out to see nickelback what a crew in atlanta <laughs> and we all just hit it off and got along and and Seth was like, is Joey still want to come to Nashville? And we're like, yeah. So we set up some dates. Joey came to Nashville. He spent a couple of weeks in the studio and ended up doing eight songs, mixing, producing and writing, co-writing most of the record, um, mixed the album, and it was Jake Owen's Barefoot Blue Tonight. <laughs> and, and if you listen to that record, you will hear a massive amount of Nickelback elements that were brought into that because that's what Joey did. And did it very well and it was perceived as such a new refreshing sound in Nashville and it was because nobody was doing 
the rock elements like Joey was. So Joey did that and Joey never left. Literally never went back to Vancouver because at that time, myself, Joey and Chad had a production company and we were working together developing rock bands. And we had bands like, you know, Joey and Chad did um, Theory of a Dead Man, they did A Fault, and then we did My Darkest Days and, and we were just developing rock bands. And we developed. Like, we were like, this is how you write a song. This is how you play live. Going to school. Take vocal lessons. Take guitar lessons. This is how you need to look. Like, you know, we would spend a year developing a band and then go shop them and get a a deal. So when we finished a Jake Owen project, Seth and Craig had approached Joey and myself saying, hey, you guys develop bands. Nobody does that in Nashville. Would you guys want to do that? We have a publishing company. We have a studio. Your manager... You're a producer. We can kind of do this pretty easy. And we were like, sure, let's do it. And they're just like, no way does it here. So we all put $20,000 each into a pot. We had 80 grand and we go, let's go sign an artist. And Seth at the time was like, hey, I don't know if they're going to be great artists, but I know they're great songwriters because they're getting cuts in town. He's like, we should, they're playing a show. They do a bunch of covers. We should go see them. So we went downtown to his show, and it was Brian and Tyler. It was Florida Georgia Line. And, you know, the show was rough, but great energy. We loved the way the two of them worked together. And we're like, I don't know, this just feels right. And there, was, there was, wasn't really a country duo at that time. Brooks and Dunn were done. Yeah. So we said, great. So we brought him in. We signed him to publishing and management. We gave him enough money so they could quit their jobs. They were both painting homes at the time and we're like let's just get you guys writing songs and doing the thing let's get you guys looking good playing good singing good writing good let's get you guys doing some weekend shows let's like all the things to develop so we did all those things and and they went in the studio with joey and they wrote cruise and chase rice was also a co-writer on that song and we got cruise and then we got round here and then we got shine on and we were like we're all ecstatic and we shopped that band around nashville and everybody hated it because it was so different nashville wasn't ready it was too different it was too rock and they're like wait there's some canadian producer from nickelback is producing country music their managers is canadian guy who was out on the road with nickelback like no one wanted to touch it they're like you guys are trying to come and mess our system up and we're not having it so we then released it independently and on iTunes, it just went like 2,000 singles a week and then 5,000 and then 10,000 and then 20,000. And now we're making money. We've like recouped our 100 grand and we're like, we're making money. The guys are now making money and still nobody wanted it. They would not touch it. And, and just a weird turn of events of how the world works is in 2005, when I was with Nickelback and started managing another rock band, a rock band called Hinder. Oh, yeah. I, they were signed to Republic, Universal Republic, to uh, a guy by the name of Tom McKay. So all of a sudden now FGL is like all over iTunes and they're selling and no one in Nashville wants them. And Tom McKay calls me and he goes, I heard you manage his country act, Florida Georgia Line. He's like, we want to sign him. Like we're, we can see what's going on. And I'm like, well, we need a Canadian, sorry, we need a, a Nashville country-based label. And he's like, we, being Republic, have a deal with Scott Bruschetta 
at Big Machine that oh. if we sign an act, he has to work it because we're working Taylor Swift at Pop Radio. So they had this kind of back and forth thing. And I'm like, fair, but I don't think Scott wants it. No. Right? Or else he would have come out and exactly. said, I want it. Yeah. And they were like, well, we think Scott will like this and we think Scott will like to make money. Um, <laughs> and, we're, and we're the ones signing it. So we'll be okay. So we did. We did the deal with Universal Republic. And I don't know, a year and a half, two years into the deal, Scott just bought the rights back from Republic. And then FGL was solely on Big Machine for... 12 years. Yeah. That's wild, man. Who would have thought? So technically, I mean, you look at the, the structure of the t of Taylor Swift crossing over to pop brings over lines that it's just wild, like all the pieces. And I didn't know you worked with Hinder and Theory and all those bands too, man. Yeah. It was interesting because in 2005, you know, Nickelback was like, hey, we're taking a year off. Like, we're just off. We're, we're fried. We've been on the road for 10 years. Oh, they straight, went nonstop. Yeah. Straight. Yeah. I think it was like six albums in 10 years. It was, and you know, at that time you're doing, I think Chad reminded us the other day, the first year they did 270 some shows. How do you, that's. Right. And, and, and. <laughs> I leveled too. Never lost his voice and we never canceled, you know. <laughs> and then, so, you know, even in a slow year, we're doing 100 shows. So. After 10 years, everyone's fried. So the guys always took care of me, but there's a moment where I was like, well, what's my next? You know, I'm touring with one of the biggest rock bands. I'm doing front of house. I'm doing tour manager. We, are, we have traveled the world. We've been to Europe. We've been to Russia, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Australia, Mexico, you name it. So I'm kind of sitting there like, what, what's next for me? I, I didn't want to be the guy that was doing this for the next 20 years. And... They were like, hey, we're taking a year off. Like, if you want to go be a manager, like, go manage a band. Um, so I'm like, okay. So as that turned out, this band wanted to work with Joey Moy. And they're from Oklahoma, and it was Hinder. So they got in an RV. They drove from Oklahoma to Vancouver. They recorded with Joey. I hung out with them. We started talking about, like, your new band. I'm a tour manager. Never managed. But I think you guys are great. And they're like, oh, we'd love to work with you. They're like, we're doing a show in Oklahoma. Why don't you come and see it? So I flew down to Oklahoma. And it was just one of those things at that time where, like, I get in a cab and I, like, go to the club. And I see, like, three, four, five hundred people lined up outside this club. And I'm like, oh, damn. Like, this is something, you know. And the radio station vans parked outside and it's the whole thing. And I'm like... Well, this is crazy. Like, this is a great sign. And the club at that time, had it's called Bricktown, and it held 500 people. So I pull up. The guys, the guys are, like, coming to the back door. I go to the back door. I'm like, hey, when do they open the doors? There's, like, four or 500 people standing outside. And they're like, oh, the doors are open. The club is sold out. That's the people that can't get in. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, damn. Okay, this band is about to go. So we agreed to start managing them. And it was interesting because they started to take off very quickly. They'd get stoned and then Lips of an Angel came out. As Lips of an Angel started to take off, that was becoming a full-time job. So then Nickelback's getting ready to go back out on the road. So I have to go back to the guys and say, hey, I can't go back out on the road. I got this band, Hinder. They're blowing up. I'm managing them. I can't come back. And Chad's like, well, that doesn't work for us. And by the way, if they're blown up, then they should come on a tour with us. So then they took them on tour. So for the next two years, I was managing Hinder, doing live sound for Nickelback, 
and tour managing Nickelback on the same tour on the same tour. <laughs> and then it's like the record label would be like, "Hey, we gotta do a video shoot," and I'd be like, "Okay, we have a day off in between dates in this city. This is where we gotta shoot." So I got away with that for about two years, and then all of a sudden the record label was like, "Guys, this is not. I mean, enough of this." Like Hinder was. Aren't like now they're ready to like headline and do their own thing. Yeah. So it was time. So I then, and the guys could see it. The guys knew they're holding on every day. Like they're like, you can't keep doing this. Like you got to go manage Hinder. So like 2007 left and just managed Hinder yeah. full time. And then that was the start of my management career where I'm like, I'm now going to be a manager. So who, so who, so who was after Hinder? Who was the net, who were some of the next additions um, to the roster? You'd be there? very surprised. But, um, the next one after Hinder was a female at that time. I think she's 17. She's now Jesse James Decker, but at the time was Jesse James. No shit. Yes. And she was a huge rock fan, is a huge rock fan, loved Nickelback, loved Hinder, loved Puddle of Mud, like just a <laughs> huge rock fan. So, her and I got connected through a friend in Nashville and it's like, Hey, you got to meet this girl. Her voice is insane. And we hit it off, started managing and then almost immediately got her signed uh, to LA Reed in the Island in New York. Wow. So then I'd hinder Jesse James, then I had another band called Jet Black Stare. And then once that started, which is really, now we're going to go really random, for about a year, I had Ace Freely of Kiss when he was making a comeback. Yeah. And I also had uh, Jason Newstead on the Newstead Project wow. when he went solo for Metallica. Yeah. So I had this like really, really random roster from Hinder to Jesse James to Ace Freely, Newstead, and Jet Black Stare. So I had these five artists. Um but I, I loved it. They all, I mean, it was, it just ran the, the gamut of everything. So um, in the middle of that, I got a call from Live Nation to go and then tour manage the Charlie Sheen Torpedo of Truth tour. Of Is that comedy too? Well, if you want to call it a comedy tour, we don't really know what it was. <laughs> um, but I did. I, I went and did when, when he just got fired off. Two and a half men. Yeah, and he was selling out shows. And he was selling out shows, and yeah. nobody knew what the show was, including us. But I did that whole thing with him for six weeks. Um, we're doing arenas. Yeah, it was crazy. He was it on was the back wild. page. He was on. He was on the front page of like every newspaper. Just there was just a, a crazy buzz. I remember to this day that. was the craziest experience of my life. Of my life, there's nothing that'll ever top that. And he's. I mean, he's great. He yeah. was great. But I'm telling you, that was wild beyond wild. So. Um, it's been, it's been a lot. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, that's freaking crazy. I didn't, like, I knew about the Nickelback and the rock stuff and then like FGL and, but it's like, there's, that's nuts to do all that shit. There's a lot of stuff in the middle. Like where, like where the fuck do you sleep in that? Like how I do, don't. what do you, what do you, like, I would, I would ask, what do you do in your free time? But you don't have any free time by doing that. No, You're look, I think I, I've, I'm very fortunate where I remember when I was in grade eight and I, I bought Def Leppard Pyromania, I think it was. And I heard the record and I just read the credits. I was just enthralled with like the producing and engineering. What's the mastering guy doing? And, and always enthralled in music. And, and then I go to like my first concert, I think it was Motley Crue and Whitesnake. Oh. And, and I'm looking at like backstage and I'm looking at how they hung the light and the sound. And I'm like, I was just always enthralled with music. So 
for me, I, I think I'm just one of those rare people that actually are thankful that I get to live out my dream. I love my job. I love working with great artists. I love working with talented people in every aspect of what they do, whether you're the drum tech off, off a tour or the bus driver. I just, I just love every aspect of the business. So it never felt like work. There's been obviously long days and there's times where you wonder why you're doing it, um, like any job, but I truly am so grateful and thankful to be able to actually live out not only my dream, because I have surpassed what I ever thought the music business, where it would have taken me in my career, what it would, where it has taken me around the world, people I've met, relationships I, I've I've seen, and then being part of history. And whether that's Nickelback or whether it's Hinder or whether it's FGL or now, whether it's Bailey or Nate or Josh or, or you know, always every time you, you reach another milestone or you're part of something that is changing history and music, I mean, it just never gets old. It just makes you want to keep doing it over and over. Yeah, and it's it's cool too, like the, because you can trace, I always tell people, you can trace back modern country music to Nickelback. And I, jo- and I, and I say that, and I cite you, and I, and I cite Joey, and, and like watching that go, so Nickelback to FGL, and then you don't have, like you don't have FGL without Nickelback. Then you don't have, Morgan and yeah. Hardy in that train without FGL because those are the guys that they were hundred percent. That's who they were. People don't don't know that. And now you see the the Bailey Zimmerman just boom, just craziness. Because I remember Bailey's one of his first times playing was at Live Oak, and yeah. Austin was playing guitar for him, and he had this 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 tiny little kid with curly hair, fresh fresh out of Illinois, and to see what he's doing now, it's it's crazy. What was the what was it like transitioning from rock to country? Because there are quite a bit of similarities, but... Yeah, look, it was the transition, like, let's say business-wise and, and music-wise, wasn't, you know, labels are labels, right? Yeah. And, and you're all, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to, like, break an artist and build an artist and market and all that. Where, where it was really weird at first was not knowing anybody in the country music scene. Like, nobody. So I remember the first time... Joey and I went to uh, CMA Awards and it's at Bridgestone and we're backstage and it's Joey and I and, you know, we're with Craig and, and Seth and, you know, they know everyone. And everyone in the hall is like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Let's catch up. Let's do this. And Joey and I are just standing there. We don't know a single person, like nobody. And you kind of have that moment where it's like, should I actually be here? Like, is this actually the right move? Because we were those people in rock. We knew every label, every programmer, every artist, every tour manager, every manager. We were those people that were highly connected in the rock world. And now we knew nobody. And it, it, there, I, you know, I don't think, I think Joey would say the same thing. There were moments like, are we really fish out of water here? Like, should we really just stick with what we know? Because this seems like this could be tough, you know, but you know, this town, you, you meet a couple of people and they introduce you to a couple of people and this and that. And all of a sudden you go for dinner and then you go for another event. And all of a sudden a year later, by the time we're at the next award show, we're now those people backstage, like, good to see you. How are you doing? Let's get, you know, and all of a sudden it like, it happened so quick that you're like, oh, I get why people love Nashville. I get why people love the country music scene. People are very 
welcoming and friendly. We were used to very, very competitive space. Yes, that very is, competitive. That's the rock world. Yeah. Um, and especially on touring. Like when you tour, it's like, nope, you don't get the video wall. You don't get to use that ramp. You're going to get this row of lights. We're going to turn down your sound. I mean, that was the norm. So I remember the first two, first big tour with FGL was when they're out with Luke Bryan. And we're like, okay, so tell us like, you know, where we can go, what we can't. And they're like, what do you mean? We're like, well, we see that Luke's got some ramps and he's got a catwalk. And they're like, no, you guys have to use that. And we're like, what? Like, are we going to get fined? Like bands would get fined for walking on that, right? Really? Like that's, and wow. it was weird because it wasn't coming from a place of like, it was always a place less of ego. It was more like, we're paying for that. You know what I mean? Like, this is our show. That ego riser is costing us $5,000 a week. We're paying for that. So why would we give that to you to use for free? Yeah. Like, because we're paying for that. But so it always came from a bit of a place of business. But where we learned with the country is, but the real answer is like, no, we have to give the fans the best show possible for all of us. And we're all going to win. And it needs to look good for all of us. And the fans go home even happier. Um, so that was like a nice, like, oh, things, things are a little different in Nashville. And it was like, it was a nice change from what the norm that we were used to. Yeah. And then you get to bring out acts like, like Morgan Wallen, like, and to see the, now that he's like one of the biggest things in all of music. And I remember short, I remember short hair Morgan Wallen wearing an FGL smooth Jersey at Jenks club in 2016, 2017. And now to see where, where he's at now, how, like, cause were you still working with FGL at that point when he was out on the smooth oh, yeah. tour or look, how did that I, all look, happen? That, I mean, people forget how big, I mean, now when you tell people they're like, of course, but at the time it was FGL, Dan and Shay, Morgan Wallen, Hardy, yeah, which is, that was the lineup. <laughs> No one knew Hardy. Morgan was Morgan had the way I talk, and then just did up down, and then get down and Shay and FGL, and FGL was oh yeah top, and you know it was interesting because it was one of those tours where you could see it. You could see that Hardy had this thing, like he was still figuring out who he was going to be as an artist, but it was working. And then Morgan would go out there, and you're like, damn, there's a lot of people here early in the sun to see Morgan Wallen. And then they would bring Morgan out for up down at yeah. the end of the night. And he just, he, he had the thing you see, you know, he, we always call it the X factor where the confidence, the swagger, the, you know, he's comfort, very comfortable on stage and knew how to talk to a crowd, knew how to command a crowd, knew how to like perform, you know, and just those things that you just can't teach, you know, and, I've been thankful enough to look at all the artists I've got to work with. You know, Chad being one of the greatest is being a frontman that can just command oh, a crowd. Dude, there's frontman and there's Chad. Right? He's another level. He's just another level. So when you see that, it was funny because um, when Nickelback played the show at Bridgestone, Ern came up to me after the show and he goes, I see it. I get what, what's going on. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, now that I've seen Nickelback, he goes... Everything in FGL was Nickelback. Yeah. The show, the pyro, the lights, the staging. He goes, I get it. And he goes, and now I'm seeing it all with Bailey. Like he wants pyro. And he's like, I get it. I now get what it is that you do. And it was when you learn over the years from some of the greats and you get to be around those people and 
every time Nickelback got more money, they're like back in the show. Invest back in yourself. Put it back in yourself. Because if you're thinking long-term in the big picture, if you invest now and give people a great show, they're going to want to keep coming back. If you try to save $1,000 here and there, it's like you're only hurting yourself. So I've carried that mentality over with every artist I've ever worked with. And, you know, thankfully it's always worked. And, you know, when you look at a Morgan Wallen show right now, it is a Nickelback show. Yeah. It is a bunch of pyro. It is great lighting. It is big. It is all the things that a rock show. It truly is not a country show. Um, and that's what people love. Yeah. That's what they want to see. So, yeah, it's kind of fun to see those, what you think are secrets. And some to some people they are. But just the gags and part of the that make a live show entertaining that yeah. everyone goes home and they're like, that's a damn good show. Yeah, and it's every artist having their bit, whether that's them or the, who they want to be on stage, who they want to be on their records. And having that, whether it's whether it's their their original bit or they're playing and they're like, they're like like seeing seeing Chad on stage and seeing the, the other guys in the band and the interaction and the video wall and like all that they're kind of the, the masters of that and then you've seen that with the other acts too where yeah it's... and and again those are the, a lot of that is like things you can't teach no you know yeah. like like yeah. you know you look at a kid like Bailey who's been doing this just over two years now the first show we ever saw him do we're like we can't teach that the fact that he can just walk on stage and run around and look people in the eye and sing people and talk to the people in the back row and make sure the people in the front row aren't ignored and making sure everybody in an arena or a stadium or a theater, they all feel part of the show. That is really hard to do. And even if you tell somebody, hey, here's some things you need to do, then it becomes robotic. And yeah. the, the fans pick up on that. They're like are you actually having fun up there? Or are you just going through the motions or you're trying too hard or whatever it is. And, you know, again, it, it's pretty obvious when you see the superstar acts that can sell out stadiums and arenas, they're performers. Like they know how to put on a show. Like there's lots of artists that can sing and lots of artists that play great and have great songs. But you go to the show and you're like, I don't need to see him again. Yeah. Right? It was fine. Yep. It was good. Heard the songs. They say everyone sang along. It was fine. Don't need to see them again. And then, you know, whether it's Taylor Swift or Bruno Mars or Pink, where everyone's like, I will go to that show a hundred times every before time. I die. Yep. Every time. Because you know what you're getting. And it is it is a show. Yeah. And something else with Bailey that something I've I've kind of picked up on being in the scene for a while. You find guys and girls where the fans start to kind of resemble them. Like you look at a guy like Luke Combs and Luke, <laughs> Combs, granted, Luke Combs and Morgan, it's a little bit easier for them because I mean, now Morgan just, just cut his hair, signature mullet. But you look at like, there's, you go to any small town in the Southeast, there's a chubby guy with a beard and a PFG shirt on like Luke Combs. There's that guy with the mullet that's at the bar that the girls want to hang out with. You go, I was at tailgating tall boys this year, Bloomington, yeah. Illinois. And granted that, that's Bailey's home turf, his home area. Hundreds of people with the the curly hair yep. and the hat, the like, he's, like, yeah. there's, like it's it's you can tell that it's working on such a high magnitude when the crowd is resembling the, the artist. Like it's incredible. Look, they'll always. I I did a speech in grade eight at my high school, and I I won a contest, which I hated because I hated <laughs> public speaking back then. Yeah, but my speech was on how music influences how we look and dress. And that was in grade eight. And I was 
my favorite band was Kiss. So I had like the jean jacket with like Kiss backpack, you know? Yeah. And everybody at school at that time looked like Motley Crue. And, you know, the long hair and all this. And it, it, that has not changed. So like you said, whether it's Morgan, whether it's Luke Holmes, whether it's Bailey, is when, when, it, when an act can be so effective and their music so powerful that people want to look like them or pretend to be them or act like them or dress like them or whatever it is, that's when you really know like you're changing culture. And when you know you're changing culture, you are, you know you have a real career. Like yeah. a real career. Like you kind of got to like, you're like, oh, this is happening. And I think for for us with Bailey, that's what we noticed is we knew there was talent there. We knew that this kid was you know, unique and special and different. But when you started seeing why, oh, damn, people are dressed up like Bailey. They're cutting their hair like Bailey. Oh, they're only wearing Air Force Ones because Bailey. And then that's when you go, oh, this is going to be big. And, you know, you can see it's it's blown up very quickly in a short time. Yeah, and it's it's just continuing to grow. And him and the, the guys on stage are just... The Bailey show was fucking awesome, man. I saw it at Rock the South as well. I've yeah. seen I've, I've been fortunate because I'm not, I used to be on the road with, with Trey Lewis and I'm a Muscadine Bloodline, and I spent my time doing the tour manager thing, dealing when, when buses or yep. vans break down, which I'm sure you've dealt with many a times over the years. Um, but I've gotten to go to a lot of festivals this year. Most of the festivals I've been to, it's been some of you guys playing. Yeah. I've seen Bailey. I've seen Nickelback. I've seen Josh. I've seen, seen Nate, like seen all those guys and it's cool to get to see the the roster that you've that you've built over at the core so how did the core end up becoming a thing because i know simon's heavily involved in it with you yeah look we were um after you know after the big loud departure um is literally like COVID hit you know yeah and it's kind of like you know the world's shutting down and simon and i had got connected through a, a lawyer who represented both of us separately um, at our companies and he's like hey you guys should get together you guys think a lot you know you guys are very like-minded think a lot um similar about a lot of things so him and i you know got together we talked about life you know what i mean just yeah. like what do we want what's our goals our passion for music our passion for developing new artists uh, just all the things and we're very much aligned on everything so we're like we should start our own company and we're like, well, it's during COVID, but look, you can still find artists. You can still develop artists. You can still listen to music and do all the things. You just had to do it a little differently. So him and I were like, well, let's not sit around. Like everyone else is sitting around for good reason. But him and I were like, let's go to Nashville and, and find some artists. And, and we went with the attitude of we want to work with great people. We want to do things the right way. We want to enjoy every artist we work and represent we want to build a great culture and we want to like find really great young talented artists um and then mold them and i think from simon's background from his previous management company and my background it's not a perfect science and we all know that but there are things that you repeatedly see yeah. that you go, this is what makes a great song. This is what makes a great artist. This is what makes a great live show. There's just things that you see over and over that work. And then vice versa, you see the mistakes that you go, I understand why that didn't work, you know? And 
you start to just pick up on those things. And, and after years and years, you start to get experience where you trust your gut, you trust your ear. It's not always going to be perfect there. It's not always going to be a hundred percent, but we both felt confident that we could find the right artist and, and make some noise. So we did. We very quickly. Nate Smith was our first sign. He was your first. I was, I was, was just going to ask who the first sign was. And you talk about a guy with a with a voice and someone that's impossible to root against. Just the the ultimate guy to root for. And, and that's the, Nate Smith. And that was it. Nate Nate was everything we had set out to find. It's like this guy who's got this great story, heartbreaking at times because of his town, but um, work ethic just wanted it. This is the second time, you know, kick it the can coming back to Nashville. Yeah. Um, unbelievable voice. It's passion, you know, everything that you hope you would find in an artist and maybe you'll find some of the boxes, but Nate truly checked them all where yeah. we were like, this, this will not fail. This cannot miss. And we sat there with Nate and we're like, if you just trust the process, be patient, write the right songs, sing the right songs, put on a great show. It will happen. And it did, yeah. you know, and he still, he, we always say he is our model artist, right? When we go to sign new artists, where it's like, these are the things that work and we know work and we know why, because Nate did them and they worked, Yeah, you know? And then Josh comes in and he's like, yep, I got it. And then Bailey, you know, we're like, it, so they all kind of look at each other. They'll get along great. They're all like kind of brothers. And they're like, oh, you're doing that? It's working? Well, I can do that, but my way. Yes. Or my version of that, yeah. you know? And when you get that, when you get artists who know who they are and how they want to be branded and the songs they want to sing and how they want to perform a live show, then it makes our job easier. It's now us to just navigate and put the pieces together. So when Bailey comes and says, I want my show to be this and this and this and that, we just go, great, got it. Now we will go and build that show and put the pieces in place. And it makes it so much easier. So thankfully, we've got real artists that have real vision, um, passion. we got great relationships. They trust us. We trust them. There's lots of debate, lots of arguments, but all always healthy, always with respect. Yeah. Um, and look, sometimes the other person's wrong. Sometimes the other person's right. Um, but it's kind of what makes it fun. Because, again, it's not perfect science. But great music, great talent, great voices, and a great work ethic. This is what we always tell all of our artists. You will be successful. We just don't know how big. right? We can't, we can't predict how many people are going to listen to your music, how many people are going to buy your tickets, how many people are going to buy your T-shirts. But you will have a fan base. You will have a career. We just do all the right things. And then there's a certain point where it's like, outside of that, we just got to see what happens. Yeah. But if you do the, all the right things, you will have a career. Yeah. And it's like you talk about having an argument, like having the back and forth. That's because everyone's passionate. Everybody gives a shit. You, you need to have that. You need to have everybody being mentally, physically, spending their time being invested in this thing. For it to work. So you're going to butt heads every now and again. If you're not, then it's no, you something have, doesn't seem right. You have to. And, and I think, look, this is just me speaking on, on my behalf. But, you know, there are often times where I look at things. And maybe people feel the same way about us. But I look at whether it's a song or a video or, 
whatever it is that sometimes you see another artist do and you're like, wait, how did somebody not say something? How did somebody not realize like that's just not a good idea or yeah. that's not the right piece of content for that song, you know? And every, you know, it's art. So everyone has a different opinion and everyone's obviously entitled and should have different opinions. But that's where it comes to your point where it's like, but there should be a team of people to at least debate it and debate what's right and what's wrong or what feels like this is going to work or that might not work. Um, and then you ultimately land on a decision and it might work or might not. But there are definitely times where I'm like, wow, that person really did not have a team of people to look out for. Yeah, the it shows. It, really it does, does show. Yeah. It shows. And even on like an independent level, like all different levels, there it, it shows. And right now, I mean, you, it's kind of cool. You came into music when it was like, when it was the album era, it was people going to FYE, going to Tower Records, going to places and seeing how many physical copies of records. And you got to be with a band that set a bunch of records and milestones with that. And now you're with guys in the streaming era that are breaking records on, on that stuff. Like that's, it's, it's crazy wild. to know that, you know, again, not to try to age myself, but say <laughs> I've been doing this since 20. So in 30 years, it's crazy to know that, look, there wasn't cell phones back then. When I was a tour manager, it was pay phones. I carried a briefcase with a fax machine. You it were was, a fax machine It guy. was landlines. Hell yeah. And I would show up at the club and call our agent, and he would fax the contract over to whatever number I was, like, hooked into. And, you know, roadmaps and, all, you know, it wasn't it wasn't where we're at now. So, yeah, it was, it was all about that first week sales. Like, you know, we did 200,000 albums, and everyone's, like, freaking out. And it was, like, it was all, it was, like I said, it was physical CDs, and it was... And now it's digital streams, you know? So it's been, again, it, it's happened kind of so quickly, but when you kind of remove yourself, you're like, damn, music has changed a lot. And, and 30 years isn't that long of a time from where it was to where it is now. Um, it's kind of crazy. I remember getting my first iPod. I was just like, this is wild. Was it one of the ones that had, was it one of the colored ones or was it no, just it the was, big, was it, it was the, the all It was the all white one. Oh, the old the all school. Old school with the little... With a little wheel were, on it. Were you hesitant to to go to that to to do that? Because I remember, like, I, I feel like back then there must have been a debate of people wanting, like, having this the digital devices versus the I mean, everybody the CDs said, or, the, or the vinyls. To me, it was. I mean, and I think this is why the labels took a while to catch up. Is every label said it would never work, but every consumer wanted it. You know what I mean? Every consumer is like, wait, I'm sick of breaking or scratching my CDs. I'm sick of like carrying around a bunch of CDs. You're telling me I could put a digital, my songs on, like every consumer knew it was going to work. It was the record companies that were like, we can't let this work. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think everybody wanted it and they knew it was going to happen. It was inevitable. Yeah. So when you're not doing music stuff, what do you what do you enjoy doing with yourself? You big hockey guy being a Canadian guy? Um, I am a hockey fan. Hockey I'm a fan, sports yes. fan, but honestly I love golf. It, okay. it's, it's been interesting to see how um very different from when I toured back in the rock and roll days. Days off we're not going golfing. No. Days off we're <laughs> oh, we can even party more. Yes. Because we have a whole day to do whatever we best, want. Best party city to go to back in the day. Oh, um, you went everywhere. You went all over the world. I mean, the best, the best place to party was Australia. Really, just crazy. They just didn't care. They were just having a, having fun. Their, their clubs were open twenty four hours nonstop. No, no shit. Yeah, you could go there anytime and just party your face <laughs> off. So we loved going to Australia. Um, uh, 
you know, look, the small towns were always like crazy because a band like Nickelback would roll in and you see trucks and buses and, you know, all of a sudden the clubs are like, come on, free booze, come on in, bring the crew, bring everyone. Um, so the small towns are always amazing. Um, and it was fun, but look now, you know, things are different. You gotta, you gotta take care of yourself when you're touring, you gotta, you know, you can't afford to cancel shows and, there's also like the expectations have changed. So I think for the artist and, and there's a lot of stress. Like if you think back then there's no, um, no cell phones, right. Which means there's no social media and there's not all that madness that now comes with it. There's so much stress on all these artists from social media and TikTok and posting. And then you got to write and then you got to perform and then you got to tour and then you got to do videos. And it's like, and you got to do radio and you, it's just, it's nonstop that I think artists are like, where's my break? And golf has become that for a lot of artists where they go, I can just go smack a ball in a course for and three, four, put five the hours. Phone on, do not disturb put or the turn phone off on. in the cart. Yeah. There's no fans on the golf course. Yeah. You're, and you can just, you can have some drinks and just relax. Yeah. And actually like it's, you can enjoy the day. You can enjoy the weather. You can actually chill with your friends. You can just, be kind of normal so it's weird how in especially in country music it's become hardy golfs bailey golfs Aaron yeah. golfs nate golfs uh, it just yeah. morgan golfs you know what i mean like when we get a day off or even a show day everyone's like hey should we go golf for <laughs> nine holes and, and get out of here and like take a break so golf yeah, the rider changes. The rider, the rider is the very rider different. Changes. The rider goes from bottles and bottles and bottles to, hey, can I get a 9 o'clock tea time? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's like, hey, call the local promoter and can I get on? Um, TR is a big golfer. Yeah. You know, the FDL guys are golf. I mean, yeah. everybody, almost everyone golfs. And it's also like, it's become a real cool way for the artist to be able to spend time outside of the craziness. Like, let's just go on the golf course and hang out for three hours with nobody else around and talk about family and relationships and the music business and whatever it is. And it's just their own time. And you just don't get that. You don't get that in Nashville and you don't get that on the road. No. Um, so it's actually, it's great. I think everyone's really yeah. likes it for do you, that do reason. You have a, do you have a favorite course here in Nashville? Because I'm assuming you're getting after the links while you're I here. I just got to play Troubadour. How was that? That place looks awesome. Phenomenal. <laughs> looks it's state phenomenal. of the art. I haven't done every course in town, but I would say that is probably the best course in town. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything better than that course. Yeah. It is. It was ridiculous. We yeah. had a great time. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that place. Because I got, I played golf like growing up. I'm not great at it. I played it a lot during COVID because it was there wasn't a whole lot going exactly. on. It was, it was hanging out at house parties, sitting around the fire playing guitar, and then going and playing golf. But like, it's, I know like Old Hickory, and then there's the Hermitage, and then there's, but there's so many freaking golf courses around here. Yeah. But also, when you're on the road, every town has a golf course. You can find a golf course every. Yeah. Right now, and look when you now start getting at the Bailey levels and the Hardy and the Morgan, there is not a course that you can't get on. Yeah, so all of a sudden, you're like, Wait, that's a members only course, I could never ever golf. Now they're like, No, you guys can come, no problem. So, there's some perks to you know yeah. being able to golf some nice courses. Yeah. Um, who's your who's your hockey team? If you can, you're, you're, you're rooting for the Predators yet? No, I was gonna say, I no. figured you won it very randomly. Uh, even though I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, um my hockey team is the New York Islanders because they, wow. when I started watching hockey at a young age, um, New York Islanders were the team. They're the dynasty. So I was like, Mike Bossy became my favorite player. And I'm just watching this team 
year after year after year after year, just like win. And like, this team is unbelievable. Obviously, they're not that team now, but I love them. I still stick yeah, with them. So, so I'm a diehard yeah, Highlanders. Yeah, for I'm sure you've got to play, got to do a show at the Coliseum then back in the day. Oh, yeah. What was that like walking in that arena for the first time as, as an Islanders fan, but for work? I mean, you know, we got to meet. I mean, I got to meet Mike, Mike Bossy that day. You know, like the alumni were there, and it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was like, I'm looking at my childhood hockey heroes, and, you know, and now, you know, it's continued every... Every hockey player is diehard music fans. They love Morgan. They love Nickelback. They love Bailey. So even at Boots and Hearts a couple of days ago, like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are like at the show. No and they shit. Are, all Connor McDavid wanted to do was meet Bailey. And it's like <laughs> I had I had to go up to Bailey and be like, hey, this is Connor McDavid. He's the greatest hockey player in the world right now. And then Connor comes over and says hi. And Bailey just looks at me and goes, I'm not a hockey fan, bro. I'm so sorry. My my manager just said you're the greatest hockey player in the world. I have no idea. I've never seen you play. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look you up. I'm gonna do my homework. But I just gotta be honest with you. I have no idea who you are. Um, and Connor loved it. Connor yeah. loved it. Connor's like, I love it. I love it. And he's a great guy. But so we're gonna try to get Bailey to be a hockey fan here. Yeah. Soon. I mean the. The um, hockey culture here in Nashville for a southern it's city massive. is fucking awesome. No, it's massive. It rivals most Canadian cities. It yeah, really it's does. Great. Yeah, people are like real fans here. And look, the team's great. I've gotten to go to a lot of games here. It's fun. It's yeah, a blast. That, a game at Bridgestone Arena. The crowds are all. Maybe it's because it's Nashville, but everybody's in kind of kind of in sync and harmonizing it's on their, like on their a chance. Concert. Yeah, it's a real event. They actually make an event. So yeah, I love it. I yeah. love hockey. Then as a Canadian, Trailer Park Boys or Letter Kenny. I feel like you'd be a Trailer Park Boys guy. Trailer Park Boys, only because they were, and I do love Letterkenny, um, and some of those guys are, are so funny. But, you know, Trailer Park Boys was like the beginning of that. Yeah. You know, that was the show that when it came out, everyone was like, oh, this shit's funny. And taking all the shots at Canadians in such a funny way yeah. that it was, I mean, it was great. You had to have met those guys at some point, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Well, what, what a lot of people don't know is... Um, I'm going to forget his name now. The guy, What was the character with the glasses? Bubbles. Bubbles. Bubbles was in a rock band called Sandbox. And Sandbox was actually a pretty big Canadian act at the time. Really? So I had known Bubbles through that band. No shit. Yeah. So you knew him like the actual actor. I knew him when he, I, well, I knew him when he was, when he was playing in the band. I didn't actually know he was an actor until Trailer Park Boys came out. And then you're like, oh. You actually can act, so it was it was very random, very random. Um, but yeah, they're I mean they're just all incredibly funny guys. And the funny thing about that show and Letter Kenny is like it's not really acting. It's like some of those guys are like, oh, this is who you are. Yeah, like you. This is just you grew up like this. Your friends are like this. This is your life. I mean, that's why the show was so big and successful because it was like watching reality TV. Yeah, it, it was wasn't like, like yeah. that far we off. All, we all know DJs from up country. We all people go fishing in Quebec. Like it's like all we all shit. know those guys. Everyone's like, I got a friend just like him. Yeah, every single person's like, Yep, I know that guy. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. Um, if I've, so I've I've never been to Canada. If I were to go to a Canadian city, which one should I go to first? Well, look, I'm gonna be a little biased because I I also still live in Vancouver, but Vancouver has you know we always say Vancouver is like San Francisco and Toronto is like New York, right? Um, so it just depends what you're looking for. But look, we have ocean, we have mountains, Ooh. we have Whistler, we have skiing. 
we have hiking, you know, we, Whistler is one of the greatest ski mountains and villages in the world. Um, so the fishing, the hiking, the skiing, you know, all that part is incredible. And you can, in one day, you can go ski up in the mountains and drive two hours down and you're suntanning on the beach, you know? So our summers are phenomenal. It's, it's one of the best cities in the world. And, you know, we got the food and all that stuff too. Toronto is just completely opposite. It's like New York. It's big city. You've got all the big city things. You've got major league baseball team. Yep. You got an NBA team. We don't have either. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, you've got the shows and the nightlife, which is much bigger and more prominent in Toronto. And then you can go up north and you've got lakes where we have the ocean, Toronto's lakes, and they yeah. have, you know, again, beautiful cottage country. You know, they, they say it's like the Hamptons. Yeah. Um, so it just depends what you're looking for. But I mean, beauty, nothing really tops Vancouver, truly. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, I've, I've never been out Pacific Northwest in general. It's so incredible. I, like I got to get out there. It's really incredible. Check that out. That's awesome, man. Um, favorite spots here in Nashville? Because you spend a lot of time here now and you have for a long time. And you've seen this city change like around the time that FGL was really getting going was when Nashville was starting to have its big freaking boom. Yeah. What are some of your like hangout spots you like to go to here? I mean, look, if you ever want to find me outside of work, it would be at Hall's Steakhouse. Oh, Hall's got my girlfriend's a big Hall. My girlfriend's a big Hall's fan because uh, she's I, from Charleston, which is where they're based out of. I, I am obsessed with that restaurant. They um, had all the Nickelback guys in there the oh. night before the show. <laughs> We've done many dinners there with, uh, we, we were laughing. There's one night a couple of weeks ago, we we're all leaving work and we're all like, what are you doing tonight? And Tracy's like, oh, I'm going to Hall's for dinner. And I'm like, oh, Simon and I are going to there for dinner. And then we go there and like Josh is there with like his family for dinner. And then we look around the corner and I'm like, oh, there's Bailey for dinner. Like <laughs> we're just obsessed with that place. They the food's incredible. The service is amazing. So we love hanging out there. And then, you know, outside of that, it's Red Door and Winners and hey, Losers and you know all guy, the, yes. all, all the go-to where you're like you walk in and it's like cheers. It's yep. like you see all the same faces. Yep. Um and it's always a good time. Yeah, it's it, Red Door is one of those spots where I've had more business come out of Red Door in my career yeah. from just sitting and hanging with folks in the smoking section at Red Door on that little patio yep. than I have in any conference room or anything like that. There's just that to me is just the Nashville networking is. Being it is. Out of a bar and look, there's also Tuesday. some days it's like we can't get our artist on the phone and we go to Red Door and like oh. There he is. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? <laughs> good to see you. Where yeah. you been all day? Um, no, it's just a great hang. It's yeah. a great hang. It is a great hang. So what, is, what, are, um, what are some things for people to look forward to as far as your core artists? I know the grind never stops and well, it's, look, the tour's we, still going on right yeah, now. Yeah, we've, we've got, I mean, we're really excited. We, we can't fully announce it yet, but, you know, Bailey's got a big year of touring coming next year. Nate's got a big year of touring. Josh has a big year of touring. Um, Nickelback is going to be on some soon-to-be-announced big country festivals. Uh, we're going to keep wow. we're going to keep that train going, like the Boots and Hearts and the Tailgates and Tall Boys. I so, love that, dude. Um, there's going to be some great things coming from them next year. And then, you know, at the core, we're launching uh, a producer division that we're going to announce in the next couple of weeks. That's we awesome. Just announced Core Records. Yeah, Universal. Yep, Universal. That's full circle for you too, man. Full it circle. It all comes around. It's all coming around. Uh, we got some exciting new artists that we are working on to get signed and get announced. We got a new project that we're putting together. I mean, we just we're just going. I mean, we love it, and we're we're using all this momentum we have to just keep it going, keep growing, and you know just keep having fun. We just want to, yeah. we really, we have a great, our staff is 
young and hungry yes, I'm and a phenomenal. Big, big, your staff is Macy, Kenzie, all they of them, just great. incredible. Yeah. They all get along and they just hustle. And then, you know, we got our little secret weapon and not so secret anymore. And Tracy Martin, who's our president, oh, yeah. who is just crushes everything she touches. So um, we're just excited, excited about everything coming down the pipeline. That's awesome, man, dude. It's and I've it's been cool getting to watch the core coming coming out of COVID, and we've done the the events with you guys before. I'd love to love to do another one. As Honestly, we we're going. just we we're just talking about it. We um we we're just talking about doing it. Dylan James finally is getting ready to release new music. Let's go. Um, and like, so studio's done. He he, I think new music is coming out in September. So, um, you know. This kid's just been on a grind for three years. And, you know, we, we, we preach to all of our artists that everyone's journey is different. Everyone's yep. timeline is different. So it's hard sometimes when, when you see a kid like Bailey come and go so fast. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's not going to happen to you. It just means your timing is different. So, yeah. you know, Dylan is just patient and worked hard and probably... This guy's been in the studio and probably written hundreds of songs. Yep. And now he's got a body work that he is proud of. And he now looks back and sees it. He's like, I wasn't ready a year ago. I wasn't ready six months ago. I am now ready. Hell yeah. um, so we're excited about that. And yeah, we're just we're just going to keep trying to take over. Yeah, we would love we'll we love it. takeovers. We'd love to do a, a, a core takeover. We're one down. of our raised we rowdy are, events, man. We are ready to do another Let's one. Do we it. literally we'll, talked about it last week. Hell yeah. Well, that sounds freaking awesome. Dude, I really appreciate you coming on and, Dude, and hanging, man. You're, you're a guy I look up to in the business and, and someone that it's just it's cool to get to sit down. I and really appreciate Shoot that, the shit man. and hear your story, man. For real. It was fucking, fucking awesome. I've just been... <laughs> thankful and lucky at times and all the things but um you know just try to treat people good work hard do the right things hope it works out that's what it's all about well guys thank you for watching this episode of outside the round be sure to check out the core entertainment management late there's a record label what's the official title like what what is the well it's the core entertainment the core entertainment and then everything management records producer all falls under that awesome well y'all be sure to check out our man chief all the artists that he works with and all the big things that the core entertainment has coming up in the future a lot of big things coming to follow up what has been an incredible 2023 and finishing out this year uh appreciate y'all tuning in shout out to our friends from big friendly production saxman studios of course whale tail media and our boy mitch wallace with the digital marketing agency for my man chief for old sweet boy behind the camera my name is matt burrell and this has been outside the room uh. come on For too long, I ain't never been the best at saying I love you to a girl I love. Only got a couple tricks on my sleeve. They usually just.